0: All right, all right. So uh, first, for those of you who don't know me, uh, let me introduce myself so you know who I am. Um, So my name is Kel. Uh, First and foremost, uh, I'm a believer in a risen Christ. Um, Secondly, I'm a husband, father, um, and actually I'm grateful that my parents are here and my sister and her husband, so thanks, guys. And also just grateful to uh, be here today to maybe give some vantage point, um, you know, on scripture. But before I do that, uh, let me start with a prayer, and I'm just going to read a, piece, a, psalm, a part of a psalm um, for a prayer, so if you join me. <clears throat> the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Uh, Amen. Thank you. And then before I start, I want to point out a typo on your notes on the second page above the community group questions. What do God does right there at the top? (laughs) It's not the way we speak here. (laughs) Uh, it should say, my typo is, what did God do, <laughs> or what God did. <laughs> All right. Okay, so I have to admit that uh, as I was preparing, oh, and can we flick on the, um, the background thing? Great. Um, so I have to admit, I was a bit overwhelmed when I started on this, and um, and let me also say that this, this passage of Scripture we're going to cover in two weeks. So that, I was grateful for that because there's so much here and because it allowed me to focus in on a part that, uh, I guess, appealed to me and you're just subject to that, I guess. But part of the reason I was overwhelmed by it is as I was preparing, um, I was you know listening and reading and stuff like that. And this uh, this passage in Romans is sometimes called... And not by people who have an insignificant uh, impact, you know, on on uh, on our understanding of the word, by, but by somebody called Martin Luther, called this the apex of scripture, or the pinnacle um, and stuff. So in one way that was kind of uh, overwhelming to me, and in, in another way it was made me absolutely excited. Um, and sometime, and and so what I want to do um, this week is really elevate. The word really lift um, I think sometimes when we, we can treat God and his word as big and enormous and massive and and sometimes it feels distant and unreachable when we do that on the other hand sometimes when we think about it as very attainable and personal and friendly and sometimes it's all too attainable um, and I, I don't think I don't subscribe to it's it's actually somewhere in the middle I actually think it's all of those things and everything in between. But today, I'm going to draw our attention to the, to the earlier part of that, just the bigness and the enormity and the majesty and the glory um, of, of as expressed in his word, but of God and his son. And so while we're in Romans, I'm actually starting in Leviticus. <laughs> Let me read a, a short passage here um, about Aaron and his sons. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abidu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out of the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Verse 3, that's verse 1 and 2. Verse 3 goes on and says, Moses then said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke of when he said, Among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In sight of all the people, I will be honored. And Aaron remained silent. Now, this account of Aaron and his sons, it doesn't go into the detail about Aaron's reaction but we can maybe anticipate being human. We can, we can maybe anticipate that Aaron was distraught Right here were his here were his sons who had been brought up in 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 as as part of the priesthood. They'd been obedient till now. They make offerings and they perhaps a plea to Moses. Plea, Moses, what just happened? All my sons do did was drop a little incense in the censer, and now you they they're dead. You you you've brought fire down on them, and you you brought your wrath on them, and like just possibly. Possibly, again, the scripture doesn't say this, but perhaps we can anticipate that he was distraught. Why so extreme? These were my sons. But then we go back to the gravity of verse 3 up there, right? I will be proved holy, and I will be honored. And then we, we see this again and again throughout scripture, Holy, honored, lifted up, revered, praised, glorified, right? And then you see at the end of verse 3, Aaron he remained silent. And I think he knew, right, that Moses was right. He knew that a seemingly slight transgression placed the will of his sons above the holiness of God, And and then what this did is this exposed God once again, our God, unapproachable light, right? The one who's to be feared and honored and glorified, exposed God once again to the one thing that God will not be in the presence of, sin. And their action of of, uh, polluting worship with their intent to put incense in, that was an affront to God's glory. And we see this. This is how the preservation of glory, the preservation of his holiness, the sanctity of glory, right? This is how the exercise of justice plays out. We see that man is consistently doing and consistently deserving what a just God is obligated, if he's going to maintain his just standing, he is obligated to dispense his justice. Here's another example. Uzzah was, was struck down because he touched the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant. They were supposed to transport the Ark on poles, through little rings, you can maybe get a visual of this when you watch Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? But uh, and it was supposed to be covered in in uh, animal skin, and they're trucking this trucking it down down a pathway. It starts to slip. This this uh, this Levite uh, uh, Uzzah goes to steady the cart. He touches the ark, and he's struck down. Now the scripture implies that God would have been just fine if the if the ark had touched the. The ground, at least the ground is obedient. It prevents things from going further, getting sucked up into the world. It, when it's dust, it blows around. When it's dirt, when it's wet, it's muddy. It's obedient. It does what it, it's supposed to do. God was not going to let an unclean, disobedient human touch the ark. And and again, an affront to obedience, an affront to his glory, and wrath poured out. You they, they could not, the Israelites could not intermarry. They could not be on the same land as, as uh, other people. And the Lord, the Lord takes out entire nations, right? He takes out entire nations. Just look at the book of Joshua, right? And he, he makes the sun stand still so the Amorites could be wiped out completely right? He takes them out. You look at Ezekiel 38 about what things to come, right? And he says, my anger will be aroused in my zeal and fiery wrath. Um, And uh, I'm just going to read these couple verses exactly. The fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the beasts of the field, every creature that moves along the ground and all the people on the face of the earth will tremble at my presence. The mountains will be overturned, the cliffs will crumble, and every wall will fall from the ground. I will execute judgment on him with plague and bloodshed. I will pour down torrents of rain, hailstones, and burning suffer on him and on his troops and on the many nations with him. And I will show my greatness and my holiness, and I will make myself known in the sight of many nations." Then they will know that I am Lord. And so we see this repeatedly in the Old Testament. And we ought to realize that we are no different than the thousands of generations that preceded us. And in and and of ourselves, we are incapable of righteousness. Anytime we sin, we're indicating that our desires and our will, this is one of your things if you're one of those that follow along, our desires and our will are of greater importance than his holiness. And we should be subject to his just and and rightly applied consequences. And we know, we say this all the time, that the consequence of sin is death. And we say this, but sometimes I need need a reminder of how awful and terrifying and precarious our position really is. And if you want to get a feel for this on your own, go read a sermon preached, I forget exactly when it was, it's called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And it'll just give you a feel of how delicately uh, we are being held. And so we have this jealous, vengeful, wrath-wielding, and just God. The one who consumed Aaron's sons in in fire from heaven. We also see a long-suffering God. One that seemingly overlooks sin. For as many transgressions that were punished there are as many that we perceive are overlooked. Just think of David, pointed to as a man after God's heart. But he was an adulterer. He was a murderer. And while repentant, and yes, there were consequences for his, for his household, through the prophet Nathan, he was told that the Lord has taken away your sin and you're not going to die. So think of this, on one hand, Aaron's sons sprinkled incense in a censer and they were consumed with fire. (laughs) And 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 I, I pointed out, imagine Aaron's reaction. On another hand, imagine Bathsheba's father who was adulterated, right? And the adulterer, David, the, the transgression was overlooked. I want to tell a story. Some of you may have heard this before. Um, uh, it's from a theologian. His name is R.C. Sproul. And I'm looking right at Phil, <laughs> one of the favorites, right? Um, and he tells a story about when he was in, uh, when he was a professor, and he had this freshman class, uh, you know, in, in, in his—I don't know what university he was at or anything like that, or what uh, what program he was with. But stories like this, he had 250 students. And you know, day one, he tells them about the, uh, the, the syllabus and the content. And he says, OK, we've going to have you know, these tests. And along the way, you've got three papers due. You've got one September 30th, another one October 30th, and the third one November 30th. September 30th rolls around, 250 students. September 30th rolls around. Most of them turn in their papers. But of the 250, uh, 25 of them didn't. And there was this plea of, you know, oh, we're just freshmen and we didn't make this transition from high school very well, you know, blah, blah, blah. And and Sproul says, okay, you know, in my patience for you, in my understanding your situation, give it to me next week. So October 30th rolls around. Of the 250 students, 200 uh, turn in the paper, 50 of them didn't. And they roll around, oh, it was homecoming, or we had you know, tests from other classes, and we have these other you know, homework that we have to do, and we just didn't do our papers. You gave the people last time you know, an extra week. Can you just do that again for us? And in his patience and long-suffering, okay, turn him in and give them give to me in a week. The third paper, November 30th, that rolls around, and only 150 turn in. And not only did, they, did 100 miss it, they come in just, just casually like, you know, hey, Sprawl, I'll get you my paper in two weeks. We'll be cool, right? And, and he's just you know, like, this is gonna stop. This is gonna stop, right? I'll pick on Dave. Carlson, did you turn in your paper today? No. F. Carlson, did you turn in your paper last time? On time, no F. Okay, now work with me here, right? The students start crying out. They're like, it's not fair. When God overlooks transgressions like David, right, we start to become expectant that he will continue to overlook. We become numb to justice, And our numbness turns into expectancy, and our expectancy is only a result because he's consistently gracious. Sometimes, if we become expectant of grace, we we can get into a spot that we are shocked by justice and presume upon grace. And so, we, so now we have this going on. I'll go back to our examples of Aaron and David, Aaron's sons and, and David. And we get to this place where some of the most foundational attributes of God, that he is just, that he is loving, that he is unchanging, from our vantage point, we can get to a point that these are in a state of inconsistency. They cannot be reconciled, and they cannot be resolved. How can you do this? How can you do this? In one case, you're, you're dispensing wrath. On another case, you're overlooking. In one case, you're dispensing wrath in what is a seemingly small sin. and the other case, you're, you're overlooking what we would consider, from our vantage point, a massive transgression. Couldn't he just continue to overlook? Well, that wouldn't be just. Well, couldn't he simply dispense justice in all case and, and, and come down on it? Well, what would we do in our mind and in our hearts about a loving and patient and kind God? And so do we have a crisis in the holiness of God? He says he's just, jealous, and he will punish. And he also says he is patient, loving, and kind, and long-suffering. Does this cause us to question, is God, is God not who he says he is? And if he's not who he says he is, how can he be God? Now we'll get to Romans. It's right here that we have to change our perception. It's right here that we have to contemplate the offended and not necessarily put ourselves always in the vantage point of the offender. See, sometimes, sometimes we approach the crucifixion and resurrection from our perspective of the offender. We tend to think that the framework that God is working from is the fra- same framework and same vantage point that is ours. See, from God's perspective, perhaps, I don't know, <laughs> from his perspective, perhaps, he was saying, you're getting it all wrong. You're getting it's, it. I'm not inconsistent because I'm always consistent. I'm not favoring one of my attributes over another. But sometimes we think that he had to send Jesus to save us. And that sometimes we say he, we, we, we got him in a quandary, right? That he had to do something to save us from ourselves, and sometimes we presume that his loving kindness and he will not dispense wrath, and that because he's not dispensing wrath, he has to do something to save us from what we consistently do without Jesus in our sin. He didn't have to save us. We consistently are kind of trampling his glory, we're an, aff- an affront to his holiness. And he didn't have to do this, he wasn't overlooking sin. He was allowing it so that his forgiveness would glorify him to measures that we can't comprehend. So let's not reduce God to a point that he found himself in this quandary. Let's not reduce God to a point that the Romans killed Jesus. No, he did it. So if you look at Isaiah, there's plenty of this in Isaiah, um, 43, 53, if you want to take a note, that you can't have those chapters and also have God in this quandary that he had to figure something out because man was so sinful. And in the text back here, because you have chapters like that, this is where, uh, this is where Paul can say that to, in, in 21 that the law and the prophets testify to what he's been what he's what he's done. See, God was certainly going to correct our perception. And he was gonna he was gonna do this, he, he would be perfectly justified in, in sending down wrath on us all. That would be perfectly, but he in in addition to being that jealous, jealous, vengeful, full of wrath, he's also loving, kind, patient, and long-suffering. So we so if we go back to Aaron and his sons, right? we think of putting a little incense in the, in the worship fire as a little sin. And this is the perspective of the offender. And to come close to comprehending what happened on the cross, we need to think of the offended. See, there's no such thing as a little sin. Every sin is an affront to his glory. So now you think about sin, you think about all the sins of commission, sins of omission, the sins that have actions, sins of the heart, of the mind. Think of them for all time, for billions and billions of people, trampling his glory, affronting his holiness over thousands and thousands of years. This is what Jesus became. He wasn't a sinner, but God made him sin. And he made him sin so that wrath could be poured out and he could be perfectly just and the justifier of all of us. See, Jesus completely understood this. Before his crucifixion in the garden on the Mount of Olives, anticipating his crucifixion, he sweat blood. And he knew what it was for. He says to his disciples, for the, man, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And he says, now my soul, my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? no. It was for this reason I came to this hour. It says, Father, glorify your name. I almost had a bet with my children that I may or may not choke up. (laughs) And Right after he says, Father, glorify your name, a voice came down from heaven and said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. See, now imagine how distant God had to become from that concentration and that intensity of sin. Not that any is greater or less than the other, but just imagine it. And he took that and he, that's what he made, he put upon Jesus. See, Aaron knew that the glory of God was the highest end. He knew that in order to glorify God, wrath had to consume sin, and realizing that, Aaron was silent. The same thing on a cross, Jesus cries out, My God, My God, why have you forsaken me? And just like Aaron, his father was silent. We sang these lyrics. See, God was always going to demonstrate his glory. This wasn't not going to happen. And let's not go to a place that I am too sinful for Jesus. When you think that of all sin for all time, all people put on Jesus, what, did he just forget yours? Oh, yeah, Ben, that's right. I forgot that one when I was thinking about this and putting it all on Jesus, right? No, you are included. So upon crucifixion, God's glory is declared intact. His righteousness is held up, and it was never questioned. See, from God's vantage point, there was never any conflict or crisis between his justice and his loving kindness. This was just a matter of correcting our incorrect view, because we have this view that there's a conflict among his attributes. This was a matter of reversing our perception. And and reversing our, our view of being shocked by justice and presume upon grace, and reversing that where we should be, we should presume justice and wrath, and we should be shocked by his grace. And on the cross, this is the ultimate display of righteousness. It's the perfect harmony of all of his attributes. And when this happens, then we are beneficiaries of this correction. We are the beneficiaries as our our perception is reversed and and as demonstration of righteousness. See, in light of man and our ruin that we've talked about for weeks now, there wasn't any question that this was gonna happen. There was no question that his glory was always intact. There was no question about any of this for God and for Jesus and for our position in all of this. The only remaining question is whether or not you share in that righteousness. So we, we talked here about what he's done, and then we shift over to what we do. So the only open question in all of this, then, is do you share in that righteousness? It's not our righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus, and we are just the beneficiaries of it. We just get to enjoy it. But the only way you get to enjoy it is if we answer the question of do you share in it? And the only way you share in it is if you believe. You believe in who he is. You believe in what he's done. You believe in the righteousness of, that, the righteousness of Jesus is extended to you. See, with belief, your sins aren't overlooked. Jesus just took care of them. And with belief, we are no longer looked at as offenders, but we're looked at as beloved. Let me close with the same prayer I opened with. Join me in this. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful that you maintain your attributes. You are unchanging. You have never compromised who you are and we we know and we understand you to be just we know and understand you to be kind and f- forbearing and and as you are unchanging and you do maintain consistency in all of this we're just so grateful for which side we are upon that on that And let us not be shocked by your justice and presume upon grace, but let us live in a way and respond in a way that, you're, yes, we presume your justice, we know it's been taken care of, and we are shocked by your grace. We pray this in the... Name of the one who took your wrath. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.